If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, welcome to episode 106 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about lessons learned from big learning companies. Before we get to what we mean by big learning companies and those lessons, we want to offer a resource. And that is a resource to help your learning business, no matter how big it is. We developed our learning business maturity model specifically to help you move to full maturity as a learning business from wherever you are right now to being a truly innovative, fully effective, firing on all engines sort of learning business. And you can find out more about the learning business maturity model, which is free at leadinglearning.com slash episode 106. You'll also be able to get access to an assessment for your organization to find out where you stand in terms of maturity right now as a learning business. So now let's turn to big learning companies and look at what we can learn from them. By big learning companies, we're talking about companies that really have built an entire business model around learning. And we want to talk first about MOOC providers. So those providers of massive open online courses like Coursera, like edX. And in terms of the lessons learned there, we see at least three that we think can apply broadly to businesses in lifelong learning. The first is to think that there is opportunity to think bigger and broader than you are right now. I mean, if you think of what MOOCs are doing, if you think about uh, Dr. Barbara Oakley's learning how to learn MOOC that has over 2 million learners across uh, the globe, that's big, that's broad, that's impact there. And so if you represent a field or industry of any reasonable size, then there's almost certainly a large audience out there that's going to be interested in foundational knowledge, emerging topics, or, or both. So one lesson is to think bigger and broader. A second one is that it's worth exploring what partnerships you could or should be leveraging for achieving that broader reach and uh, and for building mutually beneficial brand. Most of those MOOC providers, most of them, there, there are two of them that we're talking about here, edX and Coursera, they're partnered up with some big names, the, the Harvards and the MITs of the world to produce content. Uh, those are also uh, obviously ways to, to build their brand, uh, mutually beneficial ways to build brand. They're really leveraging partnerships as part of how they're going out to this market for education. And that's something I think for every learning business to be thinking about. How can we leverage partnerships to reach more people and to build our brand? And then a third lesson to take from MOOC providers is that free is really powerful. Um, and you know, one of the issues with, with MOOCs is that one of those O's in MOOC is open, which has been free. That means that these courses are primarily free. And so it's great you know, if you have uh, 2 million users, but 2 million times $0 is $0. So there's always been the question of kind of what's the business model behind this? Well, we see a lot of the MOOC providers like Coursera and edX heading towards um, validation. And so the course itself is free, but if you want a certificate of completion, you got to pay for that. So again, I think the, the takeaway is think about how powerful free is, but also being able to have a connection between that free offering uh, and some type of business model. And, and often we know that validation 
is considered valuable and is something that folks are likely to pay for. Definitely. So be thinking about that for your organization. The second big learning business we're going to look at, uh, I guess there were two, and the, the first one was a category, so we looked at a couple of businesses there, uh, but the, uh, the, the second one we're going to look at is lynda.com, and what we might be able to learn from lynda.com, which was uh, acquired for $1.5 billion by LinkedIn in 2015. And one key lesson to learn from Linda, both the company and the person, is that while showing up first is never a guarantee, it almost always gives you a major advantage if you have a reasonably good model and are willing to focus. And that's really what Linda did. Uh, Linda got into the tutorial business, the video tutorial business in 1995. That was early days for it. It's kind of common, obviously, to, to see video these days and lots of video tutorials. That was pretty early then, though. And she started focusing on creating these tutorials uh, to help people build skills in specific areas and just kept at it and build that, or, that built that company organically over time to get it you know, well past $100 million in revenue and obviously make it a very valuable acquisition target. And you know, most of our listeners represent a, a field or an industry. They're a membership organization or another type of educational business that, that serves a particular field or industry, and they're naturally positioned to be the first with education in their market. So you have to ask yourself, to what extent are we really capitalizing on that? Another lesson that we can take away from lynda.com and particularly its acquisition by LinkedIn, is that uh, it can be really effective to connect online education with a network or even more specifically with a community. Now, I think it still remains to be seen exactly how well LinkedIn and and lynda.com are going to come to tying that community and the online education together. But clearly that was a goal. I mean, that was why LinkedIn decided to uh, put down uh, those billions of dollars to acquire uh, lynda.com. And again, if we think about um, membership organizations in particular, uh, it makes sense that you're going to be well positioned for creating education and community connections. And you're going to have your members, your learners, and then you're going to have the education and the learning experiences you're offering. And so to the extent that you can uh, combine those so that they are mutually reinforcing, then you're going to be providing that much more value. Definitely. And if you've paid attention, you know, if you use LinkedIn, as so many millions of people do, if you've paid attention, you'll notice that lynda.com has uh, come into there, has been integrated in as the, as the LinkedIn learning component. So you're able to, to get at uh, Lynda courses through LinkedIn, which really considers itself the world's largest professional network. Now, there's always the possibility that now that LinkedIn has been acquired by Microsoft, that things will get screwed up. But uh, we're still hopeful that the the network effect will play out. And speaking of Microsoft, uh, Microsoft's founder, Bill Gates, through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, has put some money into the next organization that uh, we're going to talk about. That's right. We wanted to talk about Khan Academy next. And, you know, as you mentioned, now uh, Khan Academy has Gates Foundation funding, but at its uh, outset, it was really just Salman Khan on his own. This one guy uh, working on uh, helping his cousin with her math homework. And and what he did to help her was he took some free tools, um, you know, Yahoo Doodle, and then eventually moved on to YouTube to provide videos that walked her through different questions and and solutions. And so he could really help her very specifically with her math homework questions. And so, um, 
the lessons that we can learn from Khan Academy are, again, fairly, in, at least in some way, similar to what we learned from lynda.com, which is, you know, you don't have to use particularly cutting edge technology. It doesn't have to be very expensive. Um, the main thing is to really focus on that need. You know, how can you improve your learner's situation? And, you know, he had no trouble imagining his uh, learning audience initially. I mean, he knew his cousin very well. And so to have her face on this as he was... Um, um, developing these uh, learning experiences was was very easy. But so keeping that focus, putting your learner's needs and problems uh, right at the forefront, that's an important lesson. Um, I think the other lesson that we'll highlight here is that, you know, you don't have to think about... Um, courses if you're going to think about providing uh, folks with with educational help, educational resources. Um, most of those Khan Academy videos are, are in the five to 10 minute range. Um, and so they're really focused on a specific, well-defined uh, issue or problem. Um, and that makes it possible for learners really to get specifically to the help that they um, need most. And it also makes it easy for a single subject matter expert to um, to really provide tremendous value because you're really focusing on that one issue. Um, I think we'd be remiss if while we're talking about Khan Academy, we don't also talk a little bit about the fact that they kind of made... Um, put flipped learning on the map in, in right. essence. And so, uh, again, if you're not thinking about a course, but if you're thinking more about almost sort of learning assets um, and these these videos that can be used to uh, help students prepare for a, a classroom experience or uh, use it as a supplement to a classroom experience, well, um, so if you're, if you're thinking about flipped learning and if you're not thinking about courses, then you have a lot more um, opportunity there. And... We should also note, too, that uh, these videos basically are what many people have come to consider um, kind of the, the prototype of micro-learning, you know, right. short and video-based. Right. Uh, Sal- Salcon was really a, a trendsetter, a, a disruptor in many ways. Uh, remarkable that he himself created more than 2,000 of those videos before he started getting help uh, from other people. And, uh, and of course, you know, Khan uh, has also moved towards the sort of validation model that, uh, that we've already heard about uh, with, with the MOOCs. So, you know, you acquire specific skills and, and get those validated. So just a, a lot of innovation going on with that company. And again, like you said, mostly because they were willing to, to dive in, roll up their sleeves, not stress about the technology or think they didn't have the right technology and just basically get it done. Now, the next one we're going to talk about is uh, we're still in the video realm. Video is a big theme here, obviously. Uh, if you don't have video as a big part of your, your learning business right now, you might want to think about that. Uh, but the next one is The Great Courses, which uh, is a, a company that is focused on lectures, of all things. And, you know, lectures have come in for a lot of criticism, uh, a lot of deserved criticism in, in recent years. But we truly believe that there uh, are still, you know, there's still a need for lectures, and there are good lectures and bad lectures. The great courses really are about good lectures, and I can I can fully testify to that because I am I am basically a great courses addict. I I don't even know how many of them I have listened to and re-listened to at this point, and taken notes about just like a, a good learner should. So, a key lesson that we will take from the great courses is that. While lectures are most assuredly overused and, and very often done badly, they are not a thing of the past. And I don't think you know the, the, the death of the, the lecture is, is much overstated. Used in the right way, they can be extremely valuable. And, uh, and really, learners 
actually like a, a good lecture if it is the right thing that they need at that particular point in time. And, and you know, the great courses has really focused on delivering great lectures and obviously had a great deal of success with it. Another takeaway from the great courses is the fact that they really spend time scouting uh, the talent that they use. Um, so to your point, you know, if they're going to get good lectures and we know that they're bad lectures out there, they have to do the, the research and do that scouting to find um, those professors, those teachers who give good lectures. Um, and then they really work with those uh, teachers to craft and create these, these courses. So I think a main uh, takeaway, and this is something we've certainly talked about and written about um, often before, is this idea of really investing in your own talent. So if you work with subject matter experts, make sure that you're out there looking for the best uh, in your field, in your industry, and then make sure that you're um, supporting them in their role of delivering your educational experiences. And so uh, think about what you're already doing. Think about what you could do better to support your teachers, your subject matter experts. Yeah, it's a real opportunity area and really uh, growing uh, as a necessity for organizations that want to succeed in the lifelong learning business. Another lesson, uh, the final lesson we'll take from the great courses is that um, they really put their money and their service where their mouth is, so to speak. So, you know, they, they offer a money back guarantee. Uh, when you go and, and buy a, a course through the great courses, you're going to be able to get your money back if it uh, doesn't satisfy you. And that's not something we see very often, I would say, among the organizations that we've typically worked with, mostly trade and professional associations. When you look at their catalogs, you're not necessarily going to see that money back guarantee. You're not going to see it in many university catalogs uh, either, even in the continuing education departments. And you know, a money back guarantee can make it feel so much safer for the customer. It creates uh, goodwill in the, the process. Yes, there will be some people who take you up on it, so it will create some administrative hassle, but the numbers are usually quite small, particularly relative to the benefit you'll get for, for making the, the purchasing process easier for people because they feel secure you know, that they're going to be able to get their money back if it doesn't work out. Um, so the Great Courses does that. In fact, we'll, we'll link to their uh, guarantee page. Another thing I'll note about uh, the Great Courses, they've got that money-back guarantee, but they also have invested in service. Uh, they actually instituted uh, what's called a, um, a, a course knowledge component to their service training, and all of their customer service representatives keep a course knowledge notebook on hand with notes about the courses. So they're actually able to talk in a substantive, meaningful way with people who call in or email in about the courses and, and really provide a good level uh, of service. Even though they are not themselves the subject matter experts, they're well prepared to in, engage on the subject. And that can really make a, a world of difference in the overall quality of the experience. And I think if there's anything to emphasize about the great courses is they just really have focused on quality with a very tried and true medium, the, the lecture. So next, we want to talk about Udemy, and um, I'll mention sort of in passing that uh, Udemy's business model is, is the market maker model. I think that might become clear as we sort of uh, talk about this a, a little bit more. Um, but you know what Udemy does is it really has provided a set of uh, tools and a process that makes it very easy for subject matter experts to create and then offer their own learning experiences. And um, you know this has been a, a role that um, associations have often played for their subject matter experts. They've sort of been the the access to the market for their subject matter matter experts. But, you know, as times have changed, as the uh, all the technology has opened things up, um, it's 
become easier for um, subject matter experts to kind of go out and do their own thing. We've talked about entrepreneurial subject matter experts, the ESMEs um, in, in other places and kind of that, that ability to just go out there. And so what Udemy did is they saw the potential there. They really decided to focus in on those subject matter experts, provide them with a platform and tools so that all they had to do was kind of show up with their, their knowledge in a particular uh, topic or or skill and then put together that course. And then they didn't have to worry about marketing it because Udemy provides this marketplace for them. So that's kind of what we mean by the, the market maker model that they are, they are providing this, um, uh, this shopping, uh, a venue, very sort of Amazon like, but focused on, uh, learning specifically. And so, you know, while that has been a focus for Udemy, there may still be an opportunity for your organization to kind of, uh, take on a, a subset or a particular slice of the, the market maker model. So to think about, you know, is there a way for you to really help work with your subject matter experts um, to produce content for you to provide some tools and some processes that empowers them and gives them really much more flexibility and sort of then how they offer that out um, to your market, but you're doing it sort of all together under, you know, one umbrella under the same auspices. That's right. And I think, you know, while the, the great courses really focused on quality of, of subject matter expertise and finding the, the you know, the best and, and, and the brightest and, and really focusing in on that sort of smaller group, what Udemy did was to try to get a scalable quality model with subject matter experts. So to really invite in the broad group of subject matter expertise that is out there, but, you know, as you said, provide the tools, provide some standards, provide some guidance to get them up to a reasonable quality level. It enabled them to put together a huge catalog very rapidly. They were sort of, they were among the first in their market um, because they focused on the subject matter experts in this way. It was kind of a blue ocean move. We talked about blue ocean recently and blue ocean strategy, and we'll link to that episode as well. So they were really, they are, they are a dominant player in that sort of market maker model a, a, at this point. Um, now, you know, regardless of whether you go for that kind of making the market uh, type model with your subject matter experts, certainly a, a lesson to draw from you to me, and, and this was a lesson we got from the great courses as well, is that investing in systematically supporting your experts and delivering great content, that's just a smart move all around. Uh, whether it's the lecture model, whether it's the market maker model, uh, organizations really need to be supporting their subject matter experts in that way if they want to maintain the quality levels that are, that are needed to, to really stand out in the current market for lifelong learning. And the last big learning company we're going to talk about is Degreed. And when Degreed got started, um, it really wasn't dealing with content creation the way these other big learning companies we've talked about so far um, have, have focused on content creation. But it was really more about aggregating content and, um, and really, even more importantly, being an aggregator of uh, learners' records. Um, we've called this concept a, a learning locker. So basically kind of the one place where, where learners can keep track of all their various learning activities. And a really important thing to note is that Degreed um, captures both formal and informal learning. And so one of the takeaways or, or lessons learned from Degreed is to really give informal learning its due. Um, if you aren't uh, 
recognizing or giving credit for the informal learning that your members and your learners are doing, uh, that could be dangerous. And, and maybe you should also even be thinking about what types of informal learning are you offering and maybe being a little bit more focused and strategic uh, around that. I mean, we know the vast majority of learning happens informally. And so if you're not recognizing informal learning, if you're not offering or supporting informal learning. Um, it doesn't mean your learners aren't going to do it. It just means they're not doing it with you, which then becomes a, a bit of a liability. Right. And, uh, you know, related to that, the, the other lesson or key lesson from DeGreed is that, you know, being that place where learners come to track their learning and, and access content, that's potentially a really, really powerful move. And not just the content that, that you offer. I mean, that's the beauty of degree. They're, that's not their content. Uh, the content's coming from all over the place, some of it more formal, some of it less formal. But the learners are going through degree to uh, to track it, to establish the record that they actually watched that YouTube video or read that Harvard Business Review article or took that course on Udemy. That's all captured now in that degreed learning locker, and the learners are going to keep going back there. Degreed becomes their destination for managing their learning. And Degreed has now taken the logical step beyond that. Now that learners are accumulating all of this evidence of the skills and knowledge that they're acquiring, Degreed is going to give them a way to certify that. So you're actually able now to submit evidence that uh, you've gone through the learning activities that build a particular skill or knowledge area. That'll be reviewed by the, an expert, and basically you'll be validated and uh, you know, certified that you, in fact, do have a skill in a particular area, say project management, um, and maybe it's a beginner level, maybe it's intermediate, maybe it's advanced, but this is what, you know, Degreed is now making possible for the learners who are using it. Uh, they're licensing the platform out to corporations, so corporations can do this with their workforce. I think certainly, you know, if you represent a profession or a field, you want to be that kind of learning locker and skills certifier for that field, if at all possible. Um, again, at this point, this might you know you might benefit from collaboration with a company like Degree to do that. Uh, but you know, being able to aggregate content, content become the destination for content, and then be able to validate that content. We talked about that with the, the MOOC providers as well, and with, with Khan Academy, there are opportunities for validation. This is something we talked about uh, years ago in one of our annual trends webinars, so we've been thinking about this for quite some time. But uh, definitely, I think Degreed is potentially in a, in a place where they are really going to be a, a hub, a, a, a magnet for uh, a large number of, of lifelong learners. And so one point before we wrap up is, is we're not saying you need to offer a MOOC. You, we're not saying you need to um, uh, become that uh, market maker uh, type uh, organization. We're just saying those are possibilities to consider. And whether or not you want to offer a MOOC, whether or not you want to take that uh, market maker model approach, um, there are still lessons to be learned from all of these organizations, we feel. So, you know, we offered what we see as uh, lessons and, and uh, takeaways. Um, think about them and see which ones fit and apply to your learning business. That's right. This is a learning exercise. We ourselves are trying to learn from looking at these organizations and, and seeing what can be captured from them. We'd love to hear about any lessons you're getting from these companies or 
Who else do you consider to be big learning at this point and what kind of lessons are you getting from them? You can come and comment uh, for any episode that we have on the, the Leading Learning Podcast. Uh, there, is a, there is a post that goes with it where we have the show notes and you can comment at the end of those show notes to share whatever you're thinking. We would love to hear your response on, on this. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 106 to be able to comment. And at leadinglearning.com slash episode 106, we will make sure to include links to the learning business maturity model and to a blog post that we did a while back that talks about some of these lessons learned from big learning companies. And of course, some of the other episodes that we've mentioned here, uh, the Blue Ocean Strategy episode, uh, Barbara Oakley and uh, her learning to, to learn uh, MOOC. We interviewed her recently. We'll make sure we link to that. You'll also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast when you're on that notes page. And if you're getting value out of leading learning, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, give us a rating, write a short review. We really appreciate that because it makes us feel good and know that we're making a difference and because it helps others to find the podcast. And finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. That will automatically uh, pop up a tweet that's already filled with some language and all you have to do is, is click tweet and it'll go out to the world. Or if that's not your thing, just take that language or your own language and put it into another social network of your preference. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.